Let's pray. Lord God, um, you've given us great expectations. You want to see us pick up our crosses and follow you. You want to see us give our lives that you would be honored and glorified above anything else in them. Thank you for being there. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives within us and gives us the strength to do these very things that you've called us to. Pray, Lord, that more and more we would grow in this sanctification process you've, you've instilled in us. We dedicate ourselves to becoming more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ, living for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were a business, what would be the sign that hangs outside your door? What would be the sign that hangs outside your door? A business puts out a sign to attract customers, right? And maybe it's in the shape of a shoe if they sell shoes, or, or maybe it says, eat here if they make food, right? The sign tells everybody who walks by, this is what we do here. But really, the sign is only as good as the product that they produce, right? It doesn't really matter how big the sign is if the product is really, really bad. No return customers. Nobody will go back there, right? Nobody will say good things about it. In the same way, it doesn't really matter how small the sign is if the product is really, really, really good. If it's outstanding, there's this little Mexican joint in Santa Barbara that Pam and I had heard about. And so after we had heard about this place, we drove all the way up to Santa Barbara. It's about a two-hour drive to go and eat at this place. And the food was supposedly so good there that it was one of Julia Child's favorite places to eat. Anybody know who Julia Child is? Yeah? If you know who Julia Child is and she says, this is a good place to eat, it's a good place to eat, right? So... We drove all the way up there, and we knew what street it was on. We knew the address. This was at the time when you needed to read a map and, and follow the map, right? And so we knew where it should be, and we, we were driving down the street. And as we drove by, we couldn't find the place because we couldn't see what the sign was. Or at least we couldn't find the sign. The sign was so tiny, it was, it was literally about that big. And we couldn't see the sign until we were finally actually standing in front of the door. Do you know how we actually knew where the place was as we drove by? It, it, it was the line. It was the line of people from the door proceeding out. We knew that had to be the joint. Their sign wasn't some big poster board or, or poster that said, this is what we do here, come eat here. Their sign was the line of people waiting to get through that door to get some of their food because it really was that good, by the way. What they produced was so good that it could be seen and, and tasted and smelled when you were there. And we had heard about it before we were anywhere close to it. That's why we had arrived there, right? 
what is our sign as Christians? What is our sign? What is it that declares to the world what we are? Is it a bumper sticker? Because I tell you what, most of us, the way we drive, we shouldn't put that bumper sticker on our car. Is it a necklace with a cross? Is it a tattoo? Or is it what we produce that tells everybody, this is Christ in us. This is who we are. This is what we represent. Is Jesus Christ tasted and seen because we have been here? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 27. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Paul says, starting in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from god for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. So after Paul tells the Philippians in our passage last week that he wants Christ to be exalted in everything that he is, says, and does, he goes on to tell them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Greek here translated manner of life. It's actually an imperative to live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. You must live as citizens worthy of the gospel. He's telling them that you have gospel citizenships, now act like it. This is what we have to do as Christians. What does it mean to have gospel citizenship? What does it mean to have citizenship? Well, if you're Pennsylvanian and you're a citizen of the city of Philadelphia, or at least its surrounding area here, you know things about Philadelphia and, and Pennsylvania, right? You know more than just how to spell it, right? Some people who don't even live here don't know how to spell Pennsylvania. You know that Delaware County is Delco, right? Learned that one shortly after we got here. Delco. But that depends on who you're talking to and which part of Delaware County they're from, right? You know that S-C-H-U-Y-L-K-I-L-L -L does not spell shuilkil. It spells skukul, right? You know how the streets smell and, and where the cracks are in the sidewalk, right? As you played as a kid around a certain block and you rode your bike and you knew where the, the cracks were and where the, the, the weeds grew up through the ground, right? 
You know who the mayor is and why Pittsburgh is a bad, bad, bad place separated from us by the Amish, right? You, you know how to get places and how to get there, not just by street signs, but by, hey, hang a left at the green street lamp because it's the only one in town, right? You don't just carry a Pennsylvania driver's license, but you speak with a Philly accent. Use guys becomes a legitimate plural of you guys, right? You drink water instead of water. You root for the Eagles during football season. Just ask Moose and Vinny, right? Do we have Dan and Larry here tonight? It's not just where you live, but you've experienced it to the point that it's a part of who you are. Just how ingrained is Christ in us? Do we know the story of Christ, or do we know the details to the point that it's just a part of who we are? Do we desire to apply what we know, realizing that it, it actually is not just a story, but it's applicable knowledge that God has given to us? Has his story become our own story? Have we experienced our walk with him to the point that his word, his wisdom, his will is just a part of who we are? Do we understand our gospel citizenship enough to put it on display just naturally? We spend that much time in it, that much time with him. We love him so deeply that it's just a part of who we are. It begins by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, understanding the gospel message, but it goes so much further than that, doesn't it? We need to do what Paul teaches us to do in, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 17. He says, put on the new self, that new life, that new birth that we have in Jesus Christ, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Become more like Christ. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father through him. Do we put our gospel citizenship on display for everyone to see and hear in us? Is our speech peppered with Jesus Christ? Do our actions actually go in accord with God's word and with his will for us. And if this is what we're called to, to, to only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, how are we going to do this? How do we do this? How do we begin to become more like Christ? How do we begin to live as gospel citizens? The same way you know your city and the place you grew up it becomes a part of you. We need to know God. We need to get to know him through his word, spend time with him in prayer. Through fellowship with those who love him and will build you up in your walk with him. And we need to do that more than once a week. It needs to be more than a religious exercise. I'd love to see 
everyone at Alden Union Church participating in worship through going to Sunday services like tonight. I know I'm speaking to the choir on that, right? Going to the AM services, getting exhorted to live according to God's word that corporate body of fellowship singing songs together. It's just good to build one another up in that way. I'd love to see us, all of us, going to a Bible study, be it Bible school or a Bible study throughout the week where God's Word is really dug into. And we study it in that academic fashion where somebody's looked into it and takes time to apply it for us and we go and hear from a teacher I'd love to see us all involved in a small group fellowship where we can go and share life on life. And when things are hard, we have this small group of people who we can just lay out our lives before. And and we can speak into each other's lives how God's word applies to that situation. I'd love to see us all using our gifts, our God-given gifts, those spiritual gifts that God has given to each and every one of those who believe on his son Jesus Christ doing some kind of service, building up the body. Those four, worship, corporate worship, study, fellowship, and service should be a part of all of our our weeks, our lives. Not just one day a week, not just something to get it out of the way. Okay, now I can live the rest of my days, did my Sunday thing. But, But it's something we look forward to throughout our week being eager to maintain our Christian walk and have it be a part of our everyday and not just our one day. Service in Bible school on Sunday, maybe a Thursday fellowship group, and and maybe serving in a ministry like Explorer Girls or or, uh, Extreme Explorers on Monday nights, just peppered throughout our week, our life with Christ constantly being a part of who we are, getting to know God more and more, regularly spending time in his word, regularly seeing him, speaking to him in prayer. But again, if we're going to be those who let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, it has to go so much further than study and conversation and time spent with the Christian body, doesn't it? Our Christian walk needs to be something that we speak Uh, that that we live out so loudly in everything we are and in everything we say and everything we do that people can see it in us and hear about it from others. The reason I asked my wife out the very first time was because other people said, oh, that Pam, she's a Christian like you are. Because she lived it in a way that other people saw it and heard it and said, you two, you two should go out. And so I asked, ended up asking her out. It was great. Still worked out 20 years later. We need, we need to have this Christian life that people can see and hear about. Verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We need to be so different from the world that the world talks about us. So gracious and loving towards one another and so unafraid of the world. What it thinks, what it says and does 
that our lives becomes a sign to them. Verse 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and of that from God. In the church body, our sign of who we are is that we stand firm in one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 describes to us that body of Christ. Verses 12 through 13, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Our bond is Christ, his spirit living in us, a bond that transcends racial boundaries, bond that should transcend racial boundaries, that goes beyond class and clothing. We are unified in an effort to live according to God's will and God's word. His spirit helping us to know how to walk before God and to do the works that he has established for us to do. He does this as he reminds us in our heads and our hearts as we are tempted. And he says, no, don't walk in that way. And in the same way, the, the spirit speaks to us also through the written word of God, doesn't he? He teaches us the will of God by, by what he's already inspired authors to write down that we would know these things. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God. It is spirit-breathed, spirit-inspired, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word inspired by his spirit this is how we know our faith this is how we learn of what it is to be a man a woman of god a christian a little christ right this is how we come together unified in god's knowing god's will and god's word god's spirit inspired word and will being the greater authority in our lives above my own desires above our own pride and calls us to be of, of one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel striving requires effort requires intention striving to live in a way that supports and encourages one another not acting in ways that might defame christ or his body, the church, but instead let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
We need to strive to make sure that the church looks different from the world, looks, looks different from the Lions Club, looks different from things like the Odd Fellows, if you've heard of them. We need to be more than philanthropists. We need to give the world a picture of heaven on earth as we bring together this mixed bag of people from different walks of life, edifying, building each other up in Christ according to his word, that we might live for him in a world that opposes us. In the church, our unity is the sign that we give. Our unity in the spirit is our sign to the world. In the world, our sign of who we are in Christ Jesus is that we do not fear the opposition. When we truly understand how great a salvation we have, when we really recognize what Jesus Christ has done for us, what is there to fear? When we have that hope of everlasting life, and we can say things like, Come, Lord Jesus, come now, what is there to fear but God Himself? Matthew 28, or Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. The world does not have that authority. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we can stand before the trials of this world, and people can watch us traverse the the hardship with love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you think their mouths would just drop open? If we can have that fruit of the Spirit in spite of any circumstances this world throws at us, wouldn't that be a sign to them of the power and the truth of our faith in Jesus Christ? That hope of everlasting life that we have that goes far beyond this temporal life that we have right now. We heard a story recently about a Christian who returned some money 
at the dollar store because they received too much change. The manager of the store was so overwhelmed at, at what this person did that they gave her a $50 gift certificate. He said to them, no one in the entire time that I've been a manager at this store has ever done this before. Over a few dollars. If a few returned dollars can make that kind of an impact. The world doesn't expect honesty or or the fruit of the Spirit when we are tempted and tried. The world just doesn't expect it. And let's be honest, unfortunately, we tend to underwhelm them with our faith, don't we? As we, we would, might even walk away with that money sometimes as, as that temptation comes to us. It's only a few dollars. We meet the same trials as they do with the same curses, the lack of patience, and, and the grumbling that they do. And yet we are called to be the sign of of Christ to them. We are called to be different. We are called to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel that has saved us, that has changed us, transformed how we think, who we are. We're called to this that that they would be forced to confront the reality of Christ in us. And that their own sinful condition would be made obvious before a holy God. Verse 28 tells us not to be frightened in anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. When we face the world in Christ-likeness, we will be like a mirror to them. When we return that undeserved money, they reflect on that and, and they think, I would never do that. Wow. Who does this kind of thing? When we endure a trial and we have a smile on our face and joy in our hearts, they think, How are you doing that? I could never be like that. And that's when we have the opportunity to say something as simple as, it's not me. I'm as bad as the next guy. It's Jesus Christ in me. It is my Savior that gives me this hope. It's my Savior who has changed me and strengthens me to get through this. Here's your sign. As we contend for the faith together in unity, as we endure hardships with grace and mercy just as Jesus Christ did for us, we offer to the world the best and the worst. We offer the best option and the worst option to those who oppose us. We offer the same undeserved salvation that we have that forgiveness of Christ Jesus and and the hope of eternal life. And as we stand there as a mirror to them, 
and they, they look at his grace in us and they still deny him, they will be in a place of self-condemnation. They will be in a destruction of their own making. It is ours to represent Christ to them. As Paul closes this passage, he gives us the reason that we walk, the the reason that we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says, starting in verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He says, it has been granted to you. It's the, the, the word there that has the same root as the word for grace. A gift. It has been gifted to you that you would not only believe, but you would also suffer. See, our faith is a gift from God. As we recognize that it as a gift, it is not something we deserved or earned. We therefore live these lives out of a love for him, a loving recognition of the gift he's given us of faith. The only thing we deserve or have earned in this life is eternal punishment, right? Separation from God for our sin. That's the wages of our sin, death, right? But it's his spirit that opens our eyes to the truth of Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Because of that faith that we have been given, gifted, and we recognize and we come to Christ Right along with that, we are inserted into a conflict. We are citizens on this earth, but we are citizens in the kingdom of heaven in this same book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Probably flip your page right over and see it. Chapter 3, verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we serve another king while we live on this earth. Our citizenship is not of this world. And so we fight for him, and through the fight, we suffer for his sake, just like any good soldier in any fight for their king. They suffer. And the conflict, the struggle, is part and parcel with the gift of faith in Christ as we are made citizens of heaven who still live in a fallen world, a world that is diametrically opposed to us, that is not our home. So how is this suffering a gift? How, why, why is that given to us along with faith? Why can't we just have the faith? The suffering is a gift because how we endure the suffering becomes an evidence and the surety of our faith. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How we endure the suffering is an evidence of our faith. Because the trials also, this suffering also produces the fruit of Christ's likeness in us. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. As we suffer, because people see Christ in us, and they, they stand in opposition to us, and as a result, we show them then the unity of the body as we support each other and build each other up. And we show them the fearlessness with which we face the world because we serve a greater king, the one who created everything that they stand on. These signs offering to them salvation and forcing them to confront Christ in us and the truth of the gospel. As we then see ourselves growing in Christ-likeness, we become confident we can be confident of our salvation and the hope that we contend for in Jesus Christ. This evidence of the surety of our faith, this is the gift of suffering. We have the gift of faith and right along with it, the gift of suffering, that we would have an absolute confidence in what God has said is true and the hope that he's given us in Jesus Christ. Because there's a greater hope for those who contend for the faith of the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy." always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. As Christians, our manner of life should be the sign 
hanging outside our door that says, this is who we are. This is what I am. And we are commanded, it's an imperative, to live it in a way that can be seen and heard, that is in a way that is worthy of the gospel, loud enough that people talk about it. Not afraid of this world, but our confidence in Christ being a living evidence to them of our salvation and of their own condemnation, should they not choose to turn to the same gospel that we have, that we share as we build up and encourage one another, united by the Spirit of God who lives in us. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your Spirit that unites us and draws us together, for your Spirit who gave us your Word, your Spirit who's opened our eyes to the truth of that Word and and causes us to have an understanding of all you've told us, your Spirit who speaks to our hearts draws us together. We thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to live loud, to live worthy of your gospel. Sanctify us as a family. Sanctify us as warriors for your gospel message. We give our lives to you. We lay them at your feet. For we are given life two times over by you saved by you, your grace and mercy at the cross, your blood shed in our place. We thank you, Lord, for all this in Christ's name. Amen.